iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is The Ruck. I'm Lawrence Delalio, And in a week when Saracens are yet again in the news, uh, once more, there's no sign of Stephen Jones. Instead, we'll get the expert view of former Saracens director of rugby and Harlequins chief executive Mark Evans, as well as the Times chief rugby correspondent Owen Slot. Gentlemen, good day to you both. Right. Hello, Lawrence. You're looking in good shape. Oh, thanks very much. Well, new year, new resolutions. <laughs> They'll probably last a week, but... Uh, there we go. New Year and Saracens again in the news. Nigel Ray, probably the biggest headline, stands down as Saracens chairman. Mark, I'm going to start with you, if, mm. you, if I may. Uh, you know, obviously, as someone who's coached uh, uh, many, many clubs, who's been chief executive of uh, clubs as well, uh, who's had to balance the books, um, and now, you know, living uh, down in uh, in Australia, in Perth. I mean, what's what's been your take uh, on on this whole kind of Saracens affair saga? I mean, you know, one. I'll put it out on record. You're a good friend of Nigel Ray's. Mm-hmm. Um, you am. know, you were a former employee of Saracen, so a part of your heart and, you know... Over 20 years. ...is, is there. Did um, they ever break the salary cap when you were in charge? It wasn't a salary cap. Let's, oh, let's, let's get that out the, in the public the, arena. The salary cap came in in 1998, and I left in 2000. I was one of the, if I might be so bold to say, one of the prime <clears> movers <throat> on board at that point of, we've got to have a salary cap. And, and it was £1.8 and uh, I remember very much that it held for about three years. Yeah. And then we went into the English pattern that everybody stabilises their costs and revenues and then one or two clubs decide they can Stop. afford to pay a bit more and everyone pays them and we go off on our and, English and I was, rugby and cycle. I was one of those players yeah. who, who was told very clearly that if you want to stay at the Wasps, and you and you you know want to be part of what we're trying to build here. We're gonna, you're going to have to take a pay cut, yeah, <laughs> not, yeah, it not a pay increase. Yeah. And uh, and I said, really? And when other clubs are offering me more money to move, they said, yeah, well, we can't afford to keep you. So if you want to stay, you're going to have to take a pay cut. Uh, and I did. And I know people laugh at that, but it, I, you know, I wasn't I wasn't the best paid player in the country, but I did take a small pay cut so that we could you know keep other players there. And that's and, because uh, Wasps were already up to cap, so they couldn't stretch any further. Just couldn't afford it. I mean, simple as that. And obviously, nowadays, that's not the way the way negotiations work. Uh, but well, actually, I was you more, take a pay cut. Well, I was more interested in winning things, actually, and more mm. interested in playing for England mm. um, because I knew ultimately that what you know, but whatever I earned wasn't going to be a life changing amount of money that was going to you know set me up for life for the rest of my life. So it was just about. Being competitive and winning trophies, but I'm interested in in, in Mark and your mm. just your your take on it from afar. And obviously, there's things that you probably know and and in terms of you know historically, yeah. 
Um, I mean, is the salary cap a good thing? Um, you know, what's your whole view on that? For, for, oh, for I, look, I, I'm on record for the last oh, 25 years of saying two things. The salary cap is absolutely essential. That's number one. Number two, on its own, it won't work. Now, that might seem a sort of a paradox to be such a firm supporter of it and at the same time saying on its own it won't work. And the reason I would argue that is because a salary cap is absolutely central to a whole load of policies that interlink and sell and sort of cross-support each other to bring financial stability and competitive balance to a league. And the problem with the Premiership is that we put everything on the salary cap. It's the only what for the jargon is it's the only equalization policy rugby in england has got Mm. so we load huge amounts on it and then we act surprised that somehow it doesn't work very well it gets ignored or broken and then what we've traditionally done in this country is say oh i'll tell you what guys you've all been breaking it we'll have an amnesty we'll stick the cap up um, and then we'll all start again. But this so, time, so what, so we'll really, then? really mean it. Well, so what should be different? Well, then? we should have a whole lot of other things. For example, the league should be closed. There should be a salary cap collar. In other words, you can't spend below a certain amount, as well as not being able to spend above a certain amount. There should be a fixed number of players in a, in a premiership squad. Oh, I agree with that. So that you don't get stacking. Salaries stacking, should, that's, a, that's a salary cap manager's um, term. Stacking is when you just add more and more players onto your roster um, yeah. so that you get covered. So the, so the risk of injury becomes less for your club than it does for other yeah. clubs. And also, there's, there, there's a situation where some players are sat in a squad or on a bench not getting enough rugby yeah. week mm, to correct. week, and there's yeah. other players yeah. that are playing too much rugby. Yeah. And you know, if that's not to the benefit of the national team, is it really? No. When you've got your second and third choice scrum halves not playing enough rugby, it's not. It's not in the benefit of the individual player either. Yeah. And there's other things you can put in as well. We need a collective bargaining agreement um, because otherwise, when it gets challenged legally, and this hasn't been challenged legally this time, the salary cap would not stand up to a firm legal challenge because it's a restraint of trade. And in European law and in English, uh, British law, if you can't have a restraint of labour, restraint of mm. trade, unless the employees mm. agree. And the only way a sports employees agree in all leagues around the world is to have a collective bargaining mm. agreement. See, see, see Lawrence, every time Mark comes on the podcast... He I starts, say the same thing. He starts <laughs> talking like he knows bloody everything and understands how... It, and we running the RFU or the Premiership or, or the world or something. <coughs> no, no, I mean, no, no, no. But look, in all, in all seriousness, but We well, need you, you to come back from Perth, Mark. Uh, it's 33 degrees in Perth at the mm. moment. Yeah. Um, well, but it, in it's all probably s- substantially higher in terms of the salary cap negotiations yeah, and, and conversations that are, that are happening at the moment because it's actually forced the retirement of one of the good guys in rugby, whatever yeah. you say about him, not Nigel Ray, their chairman. Now... You know, I'm I'm fascinated to know whether he stepped down of his own volition. I very much doubt it. Um, I think the pressure is built, and you know, Mark, you, you've you've been through a club that's that's yeah. had controversy in Harlequins yeah. with Bloodgate, yeah. etc. Is is it inevitable that there are casualties? Um, yes, it is. You know, yourself being one, Dean Richards being uh, another. My chairman resigned during Bloodgate, mm. a DOR, and I lost a lot of people. I hung, I sort of, I was the last man standing. The end stayed on another couple of years, and then moved on. Yeah, it, it, it is. But but I do keep coming back. It's my my observation. You asked it from afar. Is we're doing it again? Only this time we're focusing it on one club, and that's not. I'm not an apologist for Saracens by any stretch. I'm really not. Mm. 
But we are, in my view, we are completely missing the point here. Because I've been around the I've been around the game as a coach, as a DOR, as a, as a chief exec. I've been a board member for way over 20 years now. I can name you eight clubs who've broken the cap, different clubs at different times. And the only reason, really, this one has, has come to light is because the breach is so severe and it's resulted in, in huge success for, for that club. I mean, you know, I would argue, had Saracens not broken the salary cap, would they be the holders of three European you know, Cup, Champions Cup trophies in the last four years? The answer is absolutely not, because they wouldn't have had a squad that's competitive enough to, uh, to compete with the very best in Europe, namely Leinster. So, you know, on the one hand, you can argue it's a bad thing, but on the other hand, everyone's celebrating Saracen's success in, in, in managing to be one of the few teams that can actually take on the might of, of, of Leinster. And I suppose I'm, more, I'm even more fierce about this now after my experience in the NRL where I worked for three years and and I was an owner then as well so I can see it from that side too I owned a bit of the club we were very successful we're a very successful club having had before our time they had a huge salary cap scandal Uh, sorry I I was CEO and shareholder at Melbourne Storm Mm. who are probably one of the two dominant teams of the decade in the NRL but the salary cap works there, and I can tell you how it works because having run the club, we won the, we'd win a grand final, get to a grand final, get close to a grand final, and we would lose four players every year. Every single year of that grand final team, you look at the most recently, the 27, so 2017 four grand your, final four winners. Four of your, potentially your best players. Four of our starting what, so, 17. Because they were worth so much, other, that they were so value, good that other people wanted to take now, them. Their value had gone up. And we couldn't afford to keep that squad together under the cap. Because when you go well, when you win things, the players who help you win things, their value goes up by definition. Now, it's simple math. But that's what's happened with Saracens, isn't it? If it's yeah. simple the players math, have got so good they couldn't afford to keep them If the salary anymore. cap stays the same and the value of your... And you are spending to the cap, which we were... Mm. And the value of five or six or seven of your players goes up because you've won a grand final or you've been to a grand final. You either have to get rid of some other players or you have to get rid of them. Did your NRL club, Melbourne Storm, did they win consecutive back-to-back league titles? Uh, Never. Only one So assuming the salary cap and your uh, desire to stay within the salary cap meant that you don't have the same group of players for the for the next 10 years. You, you can't. So you don't have the same team that wins no. back-to-back titles. Well, Saracens nobody have, won it Saracens... back-to-back until this year. The Roosters won it back-to-back for the first time since 1992. Yes. Now, there are only 16 teams, and 11 teams have won a premiership during that period. So when people tell to me, it'll never work, it can't be done, I'm sorry, I've, 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 I've worked in a system where it does work, largely. Do people break the cap? Of course they do. We had a brilliant one where Parramatta Eels broke the cap in 2015 and came bottom. Now that takes some doing. Mm. But they still, the the point, the serious point there is, they came last. You'd think people wouldn't worry, wouldn't you? Well, Mm. they were rubbish, who cares? No. Eight points, half a million quid. Can we just check with with Mark, Mm. though? Because you were the owner of of Melbourne Storm. And and until the Saracens thing came along... Melbourne Storm were were the club who had had the biggest ever fine or, or, or whatever uh, well, for I breaking mean, the big, salary well, cap. If you talk to the guys, so there, we just need to clear up that. What that, yeah. was that when you well, were there? Well, no, no, God well, thank man. you. No, 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 just no, get no, out no. in the open. But interesting, you come here as, a, as, a, as our but, expert. But interesting, what what Melbourne when Melbourne got caught breaking the cap, 
this is what happened. They had two premierships stripped. Mm. They had two minor premierships. This is when you come top of the league. You get, you get a, a, a that, that's a thing. Right? Yeah. It's not the thing you want, but it's a thing. Two minor premierships stripped. They had a million-dollar fine. Here's the one. They had to get under the cap in six weeks. So Israel Falau left. So basically what we're saying is the Saracens have been what? fairly well treated, really, because they've had no title strips. And they, had to play a whole season for no yeah, points. Yeah. Interesting. Well, it would be fascinating to see what happens with uh, this year's salary situation yeah. at Saracens, because at the moment they're currently under review. But just saying that, obviously, Nigel Ray has retired, but one man who's come back into Saracens uh, has been Ed Griffiths, the uh, former CEO, uh, who now returns as interim chief executive. And uh, I understand he's... Uh, apologises in full for the salary cap breaches and commits unequivocally to operate within the cap in future. And I guess that's going to be the fascinating question is, how do Premier Rugby, PRL, resolve this situation? Because there's a lot of teams uh, and owners and chairmen and fans who are saying, well, if Saracens have been in breach for the last three years... You know what can we what what, can, what do we make of the current squad? And yes, Liam Williams is leaving at the, at the beginning of next season. But so surely, you know, to uh, to Mark's point, they're going to have to shed some players and some pretty high profile players at that if they are to stay within the cap. Well, I think this um we're we're in the process this week of a big sort of a step change in that whole Saracens approach. So not just Nigel going, but. Um, uh, Ed, Ed Griffiths has said he said it in the Sunday papers to Steve Jones yesterday. Mm. He, he said one he said we apologise, which had never happened before. They had no, apologised publicly. No, no, they and hadn't t- too much two, to be fair. Two, he said he said we we have to take steps to ensure that we are within cap. And I've I've spoken to him this morning, and it's going to be in tomorrow's Times. And he, he's acknowledging that 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 they are over cap and that they have to do stuff to. To, to get under cap, and he is suggesting that there will be some significant changes made. Whether it's getting rid of three big players, as you say, Melbourne Storm did, or how many it was, or oh, players I mean, getting together and saying we will take significant pay cuts, and, and, and that has happened has again. Happen? That has yeah. happened in certain Australian yeah. rugby league clubs, and again, I keep stressing because they've got a closed league, they've got a commercial a co- collective bargaining agreement. They don't publish salaries, which mm. I would do. Actually, I mean, I've been a director of various rugby clubs, um, Harlequins, etc. Mm. And I, my salary in the public domain was when yeah. I was, and I had no problem with that whatsoever. Let's be, this is a very unpopular view, I know. But if you look at the groups of the stakeholders in, in English rugby who've benefited in the last 25 years of professionalism, there are three groups. One's the coaches, they're paid way more than they were paid previously. Secondly, is the agents, and I've got no problem with agents, but they are, they have, they are. Some of them are earning a lot of money from their, for their services, fair enough, and they're paid by the clubs, not the players. Mm. And the third is the players. What about the rugby journalists, the media? Don't think you're you boy, I think you're rolling it. No, no, you were underpaid before you took and the you're still, And, and you're still underpaid. underpaid. <laughs> you responded perfectly to that. But I, I would, hope my boss is listening. I would, but again, you have to have a collective bargaining agreement to do it. One of the things I would be looking for from the employer's side is to publish player salaries. So transparency is the only way to fix this whole thing. Lawrence, Just, do, do you really think that players could, could would at a club like Saracens could or would collectively say, "Listen, we don't want anyone to leave. We, yes. don't, we don't want to." Yeah, they could let, do that, yeah. but it's but it's after the horse has bolted. I mean, it's very when there's market forces, uh, you know, prevail. You know, a n- number of. Players, one because they've been very successful. They've, they've you know been developed by 
you know, at one particular club. Yeah. They then become international players. They then become British and Irish Lions. Their value goes up. Most of them would be subject to a number of offers from additional clubs or, mm. or from you know clubs in France. So therefore, you know, it's very hard for Saracens to have retained those players all at the same income as they as they paid them initially. But the the, the enormous hikes that we've seen in uh, in salary for for some players, you're not going to be able to keep that squad together. Simple so, as that. But if and they said be- we'll t- we'll we'll take a drop in salary, surely that's. Just a one-season-long short-term fix, isn't it? There, no. The next season, they'll have to have lost more players than Liam Williams. Well, well there's a couple of things here, aren't there? If you, if, you, if you run lots of caps, and trust me, I've run lots of caps at various places, there are some key signs for people who understand how the system works about whether you are compliant or not. One, do player, does the old player, not at the end of his career, I'm not talking about Marcello Bosch, mm. right, leave? That's a key sign. Does somebody at 27, 28, who's a starter, do they leave? Because if you are successful and compliant, that's almost inevitable. Yeah, you've got, there's got to be some sort of... Pass- you've got to have people that, that are casualties, if you like, of, of complying with the cap. Now, and that's you know, the thing about Saracens is no one ever... No one and, ever. The, and the no other thing left. is... Well, the only person that left was Strettle, and then he came back yeah, again. And the other thing, the other sign is, when you're successful and on the cap people leave mm. the other thing that doesn't happen is you don't buy established international players <laughs> called elliot daly well i'm not just saying no i'm not saying elliot daly no, I'm but saying, but he, he was what about jack, jack what about jack singleton who yeah. just made england squad what about liam Reece. williams what about vincent Koch? W- will skelton if you run lots of caps there are certain yeah. signs that you think you know well, what? I think, and, and I think, to be honest, in the, la- in the last twelve months, the signing of Will Skelton, the signing of Liam Williams, and the signing of Elliot Daly was probably the thing that that where all the owners then collectively got together and said, "Now, not only are you breaking the cap, not only are you really taking the mick, but you're actually rubbing our noses in it because you're signing players who clearly is market value. I mean, that's the thick end of a million pound just in those three players, at least, at least, at least. So, therefore, I think." You know, having turned a blind eye to it, to Mark's point a couple of years ago, where they all got together and said, "Oh no, let's let let's amnesty. Just, amnesty, amnesty, let's just let this go." I think now, collectively, the same team is dominating English rugby. They're winning back-to-back titles at Twickenham. They're winning back-to-back European Cups, and you know they're also signing players from other clubs. And it got to the point where even the owners and chairman weren't prepared to uh, to put up with that any longer. What I'm interested in is, is to what extent, and, and there is to some extent, the hand has been forced by CVC, who have bought a big share in it, because they haven't, they, haven't bought, they haven't bought a league to see the same club win it year in, year out. They want competition, they want that sense that at the start of the season that no one who's no one well, who's hopefully, hopefully it. That's they why want we like this sport. wonderful thing called integrity as well and honesty and you know any salary cap requires integrity and honesty and and uh, it's not always going to happen but if you if you've got an auditor you've got to be honest with them uh, and you've got to show them and declare what you're paying every, each and every player if you're not prepared to do that then there is no honesty and integrity and i think where it really hurts fans and supporters is when it's written up on your stand as one of your core values as a club and then you're seen to be in such breach. And the problem that we have at the moment, Mark talked about transparency, is because we have a 103-page report that's been written about Saracen's breach, which is a considerably lengthy report. 
There's only a few people that have actually read that report. I've yet to read the report, although I'm perfectly entitled to do so as a director of WASPs. But I daren't read it because I know exactly what it's going to tell me. It's going to tell me that this wasn't just a breach uh, of uh, of insignificant proportions. This was a, a wide-scale breach. Well, I've spoken uh, to people who so have much, read so it, much so, have you, and, so much and so they to are the point, So it. much so to the point where... You know, you could ask yourself the question, is a £5.3 million fine and a 35 points deduction enough? You know, going back to Mark's point, in Australia, no, they, they were stripped of titles. They were fined. They were made to play in the bottom of the league. And I think Saracens can count themselves very fortunate indeed to not be playing yeah. to not be playing their rugby in the championship next season. There's, never, I, been a, there's, Carol, there's never been a fine bigger than that in any league sport. I, 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 would, go, I would have, again, I keep going, I'm very born like a broken record, but I would come back to the fact that however that if the clubs and I don't blame this is not the RFU's fault or mm. problem if the clubs really want to fix this they've got to do two things I've already banged on about one there's a whole well, a whole load charge, no, no 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 there's a whole on, load Mark. of different things that you need to put in place yeah. fine but even that won't be enough you also have to have independent governance of the of of those policies at the moment the clubs police themselves yeah. and I'm sorry that will never, ever work. We need an independent commission with a much more empowered CEO who runs the league in the interests of the league, not basically run by a shareholder member board who've got their own agendas. Until we grow up and mature into a sports organisation that meets those things, and I'm actually quite hopeful about CBC's involvement, and I think it's because I think they've got much bigger ambitions than sorting. They might, they might sorting. drive that, they might they drive might, exactly that agenda. They might, and I also think they've got a, an ambition much, much broader than England. And you, you've got it. Yeah. So there's a lot of change coming to our sport in this part of the world and in all part, other parts of the world too. But if we really want a competitive league with everybody, you know, we've got to close it off. We've got to make sure everyone's spending about the same. We've got to stop giving people the right to, well, we've got 60 players in our squad. Well, how are you doing that then? Mm. Well, because you're, you're paying them all unders, are you? Well, you're clearly not. You know, we've got to get more regulation by an independent commission that drives the league for the good of the league, not the good of the strong clubs or the weak clubs or whatever like you know, it just, it's just, we've been doing that for 25 years and it hasn't worked. Okay, so th- th- one of the things that's fascinated me about the last two months since this came out, and Lawrence, you, <clears throat> as, a, as a recent-ish player, you'd have a good take on this. Mark, you've worked with players, you'd have a good take on this. The players themselves from within Saracens have given no sniff of how they feel about what's gone on. Players don't think like that. Just yeah. think, I'm in a really good team. I want to make the team. I want to make the starting lineup. I want to play in finals, and I want to win stuff. And if they're paying me well oh. as well, that's Elliot, great. Elliot, it's, it's interesting. Elliot Daly is a classic example of that. I'm, I mean, in many ways, I'm, I'm not upset with Elliot Daly leaving Was, even though they invested a huge amount of time, yeah. effort, energy in him, because players want to win. Yeah. Mm. And I stayed at Was for a very long time, all my career, but I only stayed there out of loyalty because I genuinely believe we were capable of winning. And funnily enough, the trophies came not at the beginning of my career, yeah. they came at the very end. And had I not stayed, I may not have won any of those trophies. Elliot Daly has gone off on a Lions tour. He's become best mates with Jamie George. Jamie said, we're part of a brilliant club here. We've got an amazing culture. You're at a club that's not going to win anything in the next three or four years. Correct. Why don't you come down and join us? <laughs> and by the way, your wife, who wants to work in London, will have no problem getting a job in London. Now, when Elliot Daly then comes down to Saracens, he's obviously not going to move for a pay cut. 
you know, quite understand that. So they've paid him his market value, which is actually more than Wasps were paying him at the time. So the reality is that he's come down because he wants to win trophies, he wants to finish his career with a few medals, and he wants to be part of a winning team. Now, I'm sure Jamie George and, and Elliot Daly didn't at, one, at any point in those friendly chit-chat on the Lions tour discuss what Jamie gets paid or what Elliot's going to yeah. get paid. So yeah. I think players just ignore that. They're, they're, that's left to their so, agents. So, so last, la, last uh, winter, when the whole Elliot Daly um, uh, moving to Saracens negotiation was was going on, and Wasps were trying to keep him and couldn't offer him as much, etc. And as you, you're right, he wanted to move down to. Oh London. no, they, off, they offered him what they could afford, yeah, which was yeah. substantially, which was exactly what you could afford within the salary cap. If you paid all of your leading players that sort of money, you'd probably be within the cap. Okay. Right. But I'd be interested to see most of those players, whether you're Owen Farrell, he's probably an exception because he's the highest earner at Saracens. But if you're a if you're a, 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 an international like an Elliot Daly, if you add up your salary, what you're being paid and you times that by the number of internationals that are there, you probably over cap. So I think they, they know it's happening because they must be, you know, they must be stupid not to look at them saying, right, well, I'm earning this. If I times that by however many internationals we've got. How much is that? But they just choose to ignore it because once the once the the ink is dry on the paper, all they're interested in is being part of a great culture, winning trophies. And I've got to give it to Saracens; they do that bit. Yeah, they do. They didn't. But the reality is, it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy because once you've got the very best players at your club, it's very easy to drive the culture because you've got brilliant players to help you do that and it's very easy to win trophies so do you think i'm just naive to think that the the players might feel uh that they've been misled by their owners that they that they've that their achievements have been slight you're just you're smirking now lawrence i'm I'm smirking because because once a player's deal is done that he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't think about how much money he's earning all right do you think think they like going from ground to ground with people booing them for being cheats and that well, it's only happened in the last few months. And yeah, probably, but, but, they're probably but, just coming to terms with it, quite yeah. frankly. But, and but, what, so, it's, so, what it's doing is it's driving their incredibly well-stocked uh, playing I agree that it, I better. agree it's given them motivation. But what I was going to ask about, about Elliot The only Davis. way you would know is if they were stripped of their titles. If they were stripped of their titles, which was probably one of the sanctions, that, were the, the, which is what happened in Australia. Yeah, not they, couldn't be done under the regulations. couldn't be done under exactly. these regs. But if they were, then they might think a bit differently. But at the moment, they seem very happy to run out under the banner of integrity and honesty when the rest of the league know that they're anything but. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Let's almost draw a line under what's been done. Yeah, that'd be okay, good. Because, you know, what do we do now? It is what do we do now? What do Premier Rugby do now? What does Darren Charles and, and all the guys at Premier Rugby do now? What, do, what is going to be the way, the, the, you know, the modus operandi that these clubs are happy to move forward with? Are they all going to all sign up to the current system? Are they just going to pretend that that didn't happen? And if Saracens sort of keep within the salary cap or, or get close to it, then we'll just happily move on? Or actually, are they going to put some conditions in place that mean we have a really competitive league? Because if they just cover over it and just pretend it didn't happen and we move forward, we're going to have the same result. You know, you've got a couple of super clubs and at the moment, you know, Exeter and Saracens are in that bracket because they've been running themselves, you know, in, in a certain way. 
and the rest, of the, the, the rest of the teams are just going to be taking part? Or do we want a truly competitive league? I think most people want a truly competitive league because that's how you grow. Yeah, but with integrity and transparency. At the moment, we have no integrity and transparency. The report is, uh, is, is only going to be made public to, uh, to one or two people. Um, so we're not, we're not allowed to discuss what's happened in the past. They need to set some rules and guidelines that every club needs to adhere to. And we can, uh, you know, we can have a very, very competitive league. Now, whether that means that we'll be competitive in Europe again remains to be seen because I've got my doubts as to whether a, a, any club that, that's abiding by the salary cap can really take on for the time being the likes of Leinster and one or two French clubs. But that's another discussion. I don't know the answers to, as to whether we, as, as to how you do it, how you achieve um, integrity and honesty. I mean, I, I agree that there's a strong argument for um, publishing salaries, but even if you do that, what, what's to stop? You know, if I'm employing Mark Evans, what's to stop me buying him a house somewhere and no one knowing about well, it? It's, well, it, then then you come down to things like how you monitor the cap, and, I'll, and I know it's, the NRL is not perfect. In fact, the AFL is better. When I, I worked there for three or four months after after Melbourne, and they asked me to go and help them with a few things, and you know, I go and have a look at the salary cap bit of the organisation. There's five people there. Well, what are you doing, guys? Well, we. That's our job, is to find people who are trying to break the cap. Yeah, they got uh, one. They that's got one, our they job. One at Premier Rugby. That's that was their job, and they also had huge powers. They could impound your computers. They could come in and take your hard drives. And if it didn't sign up for that, you didn't get a license. You couldn't play in the league. It just doesn't help at the moment with Saracens being done for the cap and then having this team of Galacticos that's just going around kicking the crap out of everyone. Yeah, that and certainly absolutely doesn't destroying <laughs> everyone. Certainly doesn't well, help. Apart from Exeter, and, and that was and, an amazing yeah, and, game. And to blame the players is, 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 the, is the wrong way to do it. I mean, they're doing what any group of players, whether it was Saracens, Wasps or anyone would do. I they're, agree. they're circling the wagons and going, guys, we've been done you know, done upon, we've been unfairly treated, whatever they're, whatever they're using as their rhetoric language, but they also happen to be a very good group of players yeah, as well. Players. And, you know, whether they were done to or not, I think they would uh, they'd be pretty good at winning full stop that you've now made them angry and um, you know it's a bit like taking on Joe Lomu don't make him angry because he's quite good as it is on the pitch Saracens absolutely annihilated uh, Worcester <laughs> to close the gap yeah. <laughs> they, they started off on whatever it was minus 35 points yeah. I think they're now minus seven there we go they are almost coming into the uh, yeah. rear view mirror of Leicester Tigers. Oh, not and, just Leicester, uh, is and it? Wasps and Wasps. And uh, Quinns and Irish and Worcester. <laughs> so let's just talk about things on the pitch. I, mean, I don't know what games you managed to cover, but uh, just five points now separates Bristol in fifth to London Irish in tenth. And obviously mm. Saracens only uh, another <clears throat> few points behind them. And so we have a competitive league after positions one, two, and three, really. Well, I think I think it's competitive all the way. I, th- I think Saracens being minus thirty-five is a brilliant thing. They should do that every season because <laughs> that that, make, that makes whether they get relegated or not really interesting. I, I think it's I think it's a really competitively. At this stage, last week there was one point between positions third and eighth. Yeah. 
Um, it, it, so, so all those numbers show it's really tight. Northampton look pretty good, but I, I don't think they're bulletproof. I'm sure they'll drop a few games. And it's not, by the way, it's not just about how much money you spend. And I think that we have to be very clear. <laughs> Saracens have spent a lot of money, a lot more money than any other club, but they've also spent it very well. They've also built a incredible club in terms of the academy. Their academy is without doubt the best academy in the country, which is in terms of the money that they invest and the way that they've set it up, which is why it's starting to reap rewards. Um, but who's going to go down there? I mean, who, so, so we, so we uh, think yeah. that... We think that Saracen's going to catch them. I'd I'd argue this, you know, will anyone go down? That's the question. Um, Would Saracens, had they not been Saracens, have been relegated if it had been London Irish or it had been another club? And I think that's the question that a lot of people are asking themselves. They were given a 35-point deduction. Should that have been more? (laughs) The reality is what they've given them is a deduction which... You know, you might argue within the regulations was the maximum, but the reality is that that's well. That was always going to be well within a squad of Saracens' brief to uh, to, to to recoup. And, and again, broken record. It comes back to governance because you can't relegate a team for a salary crap breach under the current regulations, mm. and you can't strip them of titles won. Again, we simply haven't matured sufficiently as a sport mm. and as a league. And to actually think about what you need to have in your armory to act as a deterrent. Mm. But but they they haven't got any. They're on minus seven now, but they Mm. haven't got. They didn't get any closer to Leicester over the weekend. No, but listen, Leicester picked up five. They're four win. They're four bonus point wins away from catching the team below them. Yeah, with with with, uh, fourteen games to go, and you'd have to put your money on. I mean, I commentated on Saracens a lot last season, and and I think their first eight games they got maximum five points in every game. So. You know, there's no doubt when they flex their collective muscles, as they did against Worcester at the weekend, they can do that with room to spare. So the other thing we have to remind ourselves as rugby fans is that we are only on round eight. eight. We've had eight rounds. Uh, and whereas normally around this time of year, we'd be on round 14 or f- yeah. uh, 13 yeah, yeah. or 14 or yeah, 15. Yeah. Now, I spoke to Di Young, the director of rugby at uh, a Wasps uh, two weeks ago before the Bristol game. And, you know, he wasn't pleased with their position down the bottom. They'd won one in, in six games. Uh, but he did say, Lawrence, everyone's panicking around us. But he said, this is only round seven. Yeah, and he yeah. said, we will get better because we have to. And we've got a lot of players to come back from injury. And other sides will, you know, definitely drop off. Now, interestingly, Wasps have picked up seven points. They beat Bristol and they got two points against Northampton in the last two weeks. Leicester have picked up seven points in the last two rounds. They got the bonus point win finally, which was their best performance of the season. And they managed to scrape something because... Uh, Quinns were feeling very charitable after Christmas and gave them two points back. So <laughs> both those clubs... Sorry, just laughing because <laughs> Mike, the producer, is shaking his head. Well, he's a Quinns fan, isn't yeah, no, he? Exactly. As, as, exactly. as am I. <laughs> both I mean, both yeah. of those clubs yeah. have picked up seven points in the last two weeks. Yeah. On, the, on the flip side of that, you look at um, London Irish, who had a fantastic start to the season, mm. but have picked up one point in the last two rounds. Uh, and Worcester, who, uh, again, have probably exceeded everyone's expectations, but they've only picked up four points in the last two rounds and one of them was a win against London Irish so it's going to be fascinating there's no doubt that the likes of Wasp my old club and Leicester are definitely in a battle down the bottom but I think the rest of the pack namely the likes of Worcester and London Irish are not that far away and certainly coming back towards them I I was at London Irish yesterday who who got quite easily beaten by Exeter and Exeter just um, Exeter played pretty averagely for them uh, completely switched off after about an hour 
um, so that the score made it look uh, closer than it was. But Exeter had that easy. So London Irish have spent so much. They, I mean, they've spent more than any other club that's come up. No, no other club going from Championship to Premiership has spent that much in making the jump, and they're struggling. But they they were without. Um, uh, Naholo, who was given six weeks paternity leave to go back to, to Kiwi for that. That's quite decent, isn't it? Very nice. I think um, he gave up six weeks' salary to do that. They were without... Unlikely. Um, Sikopi Kepu, the um, Australian prop. So yeah. who, he hasn't started yet. Uh, so those two pretty uh, Galactic, Galactico-type players to come in. I, I think mm. there are at least half of the league, maybe more, might end up 12th. I mean, Quinns, I hate to say it because, you know, they're my, they're my team were absolutely dreadful on Friday night. Yeah, they were. I was, they I, were I, I co- absolutely I that, dreadful. I covered that game. And you know what's even more worrying? You could have almost called it before the game. Because, you know, I'm, I'm, I would think that I've got a fair understanding of body language, etc. I saw them warm up. I saw them come out. And I saw the other team warm up, say, and I thought to myself, there's only one winner. Mm. Actually, it's going to be quite by quite a lot of By points. quite a large number. Knowing that Quinns have only won once in, in, on the road in, in all season, and that was against a, a pretty abject Wasp side. So, uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I think Quinns, I think Bath are still struggling mm. uh, to a degree. Yeah, yeah I watched that game. Although they have got players to come back from injury. But, you know, Paul Gustav would argue Quinns injury list is, yes. is long, and it is long, and it, it's, not, it's not great. No, but, it's not. Uh, and, and actually, you, you could say the team that comes 12th will be whichever one of those sides hits is not got a full squad to pick from in 18, 19, yeah. 20, 21, 22, yeah. the last five games. Yeah. Because you can, this league, there isn't a weak team. There are, yeah. I don't, there are two outs. I think there are two outstanding teams. Mm. One, of them, one of them's at 12th. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One's at one and yeah. one's at 12th. Yeah. Top and bottom. Are, <laughs> but are, but are other than that, and I, 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 I totally accept Northampton's improvement, but I don't think you could say on any given day any of the other clubs couldn't beat Northampton, particularly at home. If somebody um, hits a bad injury run round about game 17, because there'll still be a lot of clubs in that mix, um, it does happen some years. It happened in 2005. Also, there's, there's five games during the Six Nations, aren't there? Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean that's influential. I mean, you well, know, Leicester it? have just found some form, but they're going to lose most critically George Ford in a couple of weeks. It's not nearly as influential as injuries. Everyone goes on about the Six yeah. Nations, but the way the game is now and the number of people, Queens were down to centre seven and eight yeah. on Friday night. Well, what's the difference? That well, well, I think the Six Nations injuries. Because injuries, there are more. The injuries. One really affects the way you can prepare for a game, yeah. and you know, listen, we, we we give a lot of credit where credit's due. Preparing for games is really important um, to the mindset, and if you are severely down on numbers, particularly up front, if you're if you if you've got no locks you can train with or no props you can train with, you know, you can't scrummage effectively. Yeah. You know, you can't you can't do the the bits and pieces that uh, that require that are required come game time, and and there ends up being glaring holes in that. I think. Um, at least with the Six Nations, you know roughly which players you're going to hmm. lose or not. And and already Eddie Jones, even though... When does he name his squad? Next Monday. Next Monday. Uh, well, okay. trust me. Is that, no, no, sorry, me, two weeks ago. He would have been Monday. having those conversations two or three, four weeks ago, saying, you're probably not going to lose Joe Launchby this time. Yeah, Richard will be on the phone yeah. to the clubs. And, and so, therefore, they can, they can get in their heads the players that they're not going to yeah, have. Yeah, what yeah. they can't get in their heads is the players that they have and then suddenly don't have. So New, Newcastle will come up. So a team, I think, will still yeah, go down. Any, anyone ex- I, don't th- I think there's but, three but other teams the, that, the, the that teams won't get in trouble at all. I, I cannot see Northampton in any trouble. I cannot see 
Gloucester in any trouble, and I can't see Sale in any trouble. Sale, Sale squad. I think their squads are too big, too yeah, strong. I mean, Sale, and in the words, in the, win, in the words of Steve Diamond, has already said, you know, in years gone by, I was I was scratching around trying to work out what you know how to win a game, how to not lose a game. Yeah. He said, now he said, I'm I'm spending right up to the salary cap, which is the argument and, for a salary and cap he said, collar, of course. And he said, the pressure is on me as a director of rugby to finish in the top four and to be challenging. Yeah, and, uh, I think they will, and they will be. You know, so those those. Four mm. plus Saracens will not be in a fight. Yeah. So anybody else, <clears throat> I think, could be. Well, well I think what I was going to say is I think that whoever gets so there will be a relegation this season. Yeah. Yes. But I think that will be the last one. Well, it's going to come from Leicester. So I, th- I think London, the, club, Irish, the clubs will, will vote relegation out by next September, which is the sort of deadline. And once they've done that, I think that's it. Right, gentlemen, uh, Mark, I'd, lo- I'd love to get just before we finish, and, it's, mm. and it'll take some editing this show because we have focused quite clearly on uh, on Saracens. But, we have uh, witted on, uh, a bit, and we've only we? gone on so, for you know two and a half hours. But we like, haven't had enough from Mark on governance. But, but me, what, uh, me and Lawrence in Mark, the box. Yeah. I, w- I want to know exactly w- what it is you're up to in in e. Australia with um, Globid Rapid Radio, um, <laughs> and uh, you've done a few things over there. You talked about NFL, the, the NRL. You talked about NFL. You know mm. whatever it is, AFL, ARL. Film. What is it you currently do? Um, I am chief executive of Global Rapid Rugby, which is a competition that this year will have its first regular home and away season. It's funded by uh, a guy called Andrew Forrest, who is a sort of mining magnate uh, in, in Western Australia. And it's sort of come out of the sort of demise of the Western Force and when they were kicked out of Super Rugby. And I could rattle on for hours and hours about it but it's a really interesting project you know this year the six teams one in hong kong one in shanghai one in kuala lumpur one in fiji one in samoa and one in perth and it really forms part of a very very rapidly changing scenario in the asia pacific region will super rugby go around one more time past 25 i think that looks unlikely will south africa continue to be aligned with the southern hemisphere or will they split and half mm. go north and half stay? You know, where, they, where, where did Japan fit into it? And the other big thing is what happens in Japan. And there's there's some very, very... I'm spending quite a lot of time in Tokyo at the moment. Mm. There's some very interesting developments there with Dentsu and the plans not yet agreed to set up a full-time professional league in Japan and what impact that will have on and The, the, the other question I, was, I, was, I wanted to pose was that given that... Over twenty percent of all professional rugby players in the world are from the Pacific Islands. Yes. Over twenty percent, yes, playing in across the world. Mm-hmm. You know where do they fit in well, to the current world structure? Because at the moment they're kind of treated as second-class citizens, despite the work that Dan Leo is doing. And um, one of the things that Global Rapid Rugby is trying to do, and this this season will be critical, because Fiji, we're trying to create an on-island team. The best players who are still in Fiji and still in this year in Samoa and then maybe Tonga or maybe Tonga and Samoa because Tonga and Samoa are not as well developed (laughs) governance-wise as Fiji because part of the sort of offer that we're trying to put together is to say, look, everyone knows how difficult it is for rugby to stay on the island so all the players leave or get recruited into rugby league or into European Rugby Union or Super Tech, Super super Rugby or whatever. Can we help to build something of value on the island that in the long run will allow not all the island players to stay because there's so many of them, but to actually have a presence 
in and on the islands themselves. Yeah. Whether that's oral or should it be, and this is one of the things we're playing, uh, looking at at the moment, do you actually put a Tongan Samoan team into South Auckland? Because mm. that's the biggest Polynesian city mm. in the world, yeah. right? Or do you start to look at places like Honolulu, which has got a million people but no professional sports team? So, look, it's very... We're going to cover of, a game in Honolulu, wouldn't we? Like? I, think, I think we could be persuaded. It's we? very... I'll keep you in mind, boys. It's Look, the, the key... It's very early days, but there's, there's huge... We've talked about possibly big changes coming into European club rugby. Without a doubt, there are massive changes coming in the Asia pack. Yeah. South Southern Hemisphere rugby, and we're extremely fortunate that we're well funded by an extremely wealthy guy who's got a genuine interest in growing the sport, particularly in places like China and Hong Kong, and has a philanthropic bent, which may well be helpful in terms of the Pacific Islands. So, when you get a phone call sitting in your sitting in your front room in uh, up in Hertfordshire, to, would you come and have a have a look at this? You think, well, yeah, why not? Yeah, quite right too. You know, I was just engaged when he rang me. That's <coughs> so frustrating. <laughs> and he picked up the phone to you instead. Well, listen, watch this space, Mark. It's been our absolute pleasure to have Thank you, you on board much, as guys. always. Thank you for your time, and my thanks also to Owen Slot. The Ruck will return next Monday. Make sure you never miss an episode. Subscribe now via Acast, iTunes, or your preferred podcast provider. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.